A Million Tiny Miracles. I taught world history for a few years, and during two of those years, uh, we used a classical education format curriculum. That's a look at history through the eyes of those who created it in each of four eras. Ancient world history, the Middle Ages, Renaissance, and modern or current history. In each of these eras of world history, you will see that there are people in five basic categories whose actions are the ones that are recorded as history. And if you study history, it's these people you're going to be studying. These five basic groups, there are a lot of subgroups, but there's five basic groups, and they include culture, which is art, music, and literature. They include money, business, or economy. They include politics and government and science. I want to look at just one era. I chose this era because actually some of us remember these events, and so it's, it's easier to look back on something you either lived through or it's recent history, and so you have heard stories about it from people you, you know and who have lived through it themselves. So I want to take a look at the 1960s as our sample. The music. Oh my gosh. It was as mixed up as the politics. We had the Beatles who, who literally burst on the world scene. They were cheered and, and the, the crowd screamed them to success. And then at the same time, they were banned. They were banned by countries. They were banned by families and churches. But they were here and they were here to stay. We also had the Rolling Stones. I mean, this group was, they had one foot off the cultural cliff already. Uh, they were way over there. In the 1960s, when you looked at them, I mean, these guys were literally falling off a cliff. But at the same time, you had the Beach Boys. All-American, um, the sun is shining, feels like the 4th of July every day, life is good. We also had the Four Seasons, the clean-cut guys from Jersey who had perfect harmony, and every time they came on the radio, you wanted to sing. Then there was Ray Charles and James Brown. They were masters of their music, and they, they hit the charts, the music charts, at the top of the charts. They were so accepted for their music, but the minute these men walked backstage... They were put back into their cultural prison. They weren't allowed out yet. America and the world were in a cultural soup. The art of the counterculture transformed the art world and actually ended up making New York City the center of the art universe, far removed from what had been for centuries, which was Europe. Politics. Who can forget the civil rights movement? Some of the players in in uh, politics were Martin Luther King, JFK, Bobby Kennedy, and J. Edgar Hoover. Each one, and there were others, these were not the only significance, but these are pretty significant. Each of them either reacted to this revolution or tried to steer it in the right direction or contain it or in some cases outright suppress it. Then we had the science of the 1960s. The moon landing, the discovery of the bottom of the Mariana Trench, which is thousands of miles below the surface, and the first circumnavigation of the Earth underwater. 
you know, a lot of times business and science, they overlap. And, and in the 1960s, they did. And as we move forward in history, they do more and more and more. We had in the 60s, the first pacemaker, the first birth control pill, the first heart bypass surgery, the first kidney transplant, the first computer mouse, and the first video game. All of them incredible changes in art, music, politics, business, and science. Just that one era, the 1960s, the changes in that one decade to culture, religion, politics, government, and science have forever changed our lives. They've changed the way we define things. They've changed what we expect. It used to be that if your heart was failing, you expected it to fail. I mean, that was kind of like a death sentence. Now your expectation is possibly a bypass surgery or possibly a heart transplant or medication to correct the problem or put a stent in and open up that artery and so much more. History is that thing that we all have. It's not just world history, it's our history. We have a personal history, an individual history. We made it. We remember it or ignore it. Many times we repeat it because history is simply the collection of what has happened to a person or a country or the world. But what does history have to do with our title? A million tiny miracles. Most people, this is just my opinion, take it for what it is, most or a, a large segment of the population experience life on a very surface level. They go through life and things happen. They get through it. They move on and then they repeat. Most people rarely expect the next part of their life to be any different than the last part. Oh, the players might change. Like you might get married. And so the players might change or maybe you'll have a baby and now there's three of you. The players might change. The location might change. Maybe you got a job and it moved you to Nebraska. But the cycle remains unchanged. Most people, their expectation is more of the same. I believe that's because expectation can be exhausting. It can be exhausting mentally and emotionally and even physically. Because you see, it's easier not to have expectations than to risk all that effort and then have them end up being unfulfilled. So most people just simply don't. However, you see, those who create or change history, the first thing they do is risk expecting differently. That's the first risk they run, is they choose to expect different. They think beyond their experiences, the ones they've already had. They search for new normals. In some cases on world history stage, their new normals aren't actually ones some of us wanted. The history makers of the world look outside of what has been always, always, always. It's the first thing they do. The question to you and I, to each of us is, will we? Will you? Will you take the risk and leave your history? Is your life so much on a hamster wheel merry-go-round 
that you feel the risk is too great? You've seen those cute little hamsters on their wheel, haven't you? You know what I mean. They exercise, they use up a whole lot of energy, it makes them hungry, so they eat, they drink, then they get back on and they exercise some more, use some more energy, oh, they get tired, so they sleep, they wake up, and then they run on the wheel again. May I make a suggestion? Would you be willing to take a minute and really look at your own expectations? What do you expect your relationships to be like tomorrow or next year? What about your finances or your faith or your health? Are you willing to change your expectations? You see, this question is a simple question of willingness. This is not a question of achievement. This is not a question of perfection. This is a question of willingness. Are you willing to step out of your expected life as of today into the unknown and the unexperienced? Are you willing? At a time like this, when I'm thinking in, in these kind of uh, terms, Hebrews 11 comes to mind for me. I'm going to quote to you a segment of Hebrews 11. It's going to be my paraphrase, but it's a pretty smart paraphrase, I think, because I got it from the way that passage is actually literally translated. So here it is. This is my paraphrase. Take it for what it is. Faith is the title deed to things hoped for. That word hoped means expected. Faith is the title deed to things expected or hoped for. Faith is the proof, the evidence of things unseen, unknown, unexperienced. Oh, so Hebrews 11 declares that the unexpected become the expected by faith. Hebrews 11 declares that without hope or expectation, faith has nothing to join. Faith has nothing to engage. Faith has nothing to fulfill. Because faith delivers what is hoped for, what is expected, into tangible, holdable, feelable, maybe even huggable reality. Faith makes no promise of how it will happen or how long it will take. Faith, Hebrews 11, is only a declaration of the truth that faith requires hope or expectation to activate and succeed. Without hope, there is no faith, because faith is the title deed to things hoped for or expected. I can promise you, I gotta tell you, I can promise you, if you've ever heard me promise you before, hear this promise. I can promise you that once you have experienced faith bringing the unseen into the seen in your life, once you have experienced faith bringing the hoped for, the expected, into your reality, you will never go back to a repetitious hamster wheel history. Never. You're, you'll be ruined. And you'll gladly pursue new expectations. You'll gladly choose to live in pursuit of new normals. You'll accept that new normals are normal for history makers, for history writers, including your personal history. 
you know, several podcasts ago, we introduced a simple little lady whose routine life was turned on its head in a moment. Everything she could count on was disturbed. Everyone she relied on was either gone or threatening to be gone. So she turned to the one person that she had left she thought she could trust. But her encounter with him, let me tell you, it was no Sunday school picnic. Instead of fixing her immediate chaos, the one she was in right now, he challenged her. He insisted that she see beyond what had happened to her and what was in the moment happening to her. He insisted, he insisted she look beyond. Oh, she resisted him at first, but she had nobody else to turn to. How cruel he was to make her look away from her loss, her lack. There was so much of it. How on earth do you look beyond it? Let me think about this for a minute. You and I, it's easy for us to judge her. But just for a moment, put yourself in her shoes. Put your people, the people you depend on. Put the job you rely on and the finances you thought you had for backup. Put all of these at risk or gone and see if your impression of her is any different. I'm asking you today to be willing to rethink what you expect this lady, this little simple lady, she was challenged at the lowest moment of her life. She was challenged not to settle for a fix for her immediate chaos. That was so much of it. I mean, who would have wanted her to not want that? But she was challenged instead to change her expectation from fixing her immediate chaos to expecting a life of flourishing and thriving. She didn't understand what this challenge was at the moment that she was challenged. She had no way of doing that. But she was told to see what she had. There was so much around of what she was missing. It was really hard to look past it. I mean, everything was about loss. Everything was about lack in her life at the moment. She was told to look at what you have, not at what you had, not at what you lack. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That is a radical history changing way to think. Look at what you have, not at what you had, not at what you lack. That is so radical. But it's also the first step in changing what you expect. The first step in changing what you expect is to change what you see. You cannot change what you expect until you change what you see. You expect what you see. If you see lack, you will expect to get it. If you see hope, no matter how small your hope is, you will expect hope to prevail, even in its smallness. It's the hopeless, those without expectation, that dry out in their bones. They exist, but they don't live. They're breathing, they're inhaling and exhaling, but they're not flourishing. Hopelessness dries the bones and breaks the spirit.
This little lady, she was told to look at what she had. Look at what you have, he said. But to her, what she had was so small and so insignificant and so, um, and so minuscule that she called it, quote unquote, nothing. And truth is, in light of the bigness of her problems, uh, it, it actually was. It seemed like nothing. So when you, in the next little while, when you hear me use the word nothing, put it in quotes. Because to her, it felt like nothing. But he insisted, she look at what she had. Tell me what you have. She did, and she called it nothing. But she acknowledged it. There is a thankfulness in acknowledging what you have, even if it feels like nothing to you. Maybe your finances feel like nothing. Maybe your health feels like it's in a state of nothing. Maybe your relationships feel like nothing. Maybe they feel dead nothing. Once you see and acknowledge what you have, that's when the process of turning your nothing into flourishing begins. Because the process of turning quote-unquote nothing into flourishing is dunamis. Unforeseen miraculous power. In Our Lady's case, miraculous power that didn't come from her power to change her chaos. She had none. But as she took her nothing and little by little felt its weight, as she lifted one container after another that she had filled from her pot of nothing, the only thing that had changed at that moment was what she saw. When dunamis began its miraculous transformation, her hope did not grow large immediately. Her reality didn't change that day. Oh, but inside, inside she changed one container at a time until she said out loud with her own voice so she could hear herself say, more. I want more. When was the last time you said that? I want more. What she experienced was that what had been unseen to her became her reality. When she saw, when she acknowledged what she even called nothing. Hope activated her faith and transformed her chaos right before her eyes. Could you, could you look at your life, all of its compartments, and begin to see what you have instead of what you used to have or, you, or what you had or what you lack? Would you be willing to take your personal nothing and together with your faith, large or small, mm -hmm. and your hope, little or not, and then let dunamis do what only dunamis can. Years ago, I heard a phrase in business that stuck with me. I didn't relate to it at first, but it kind of got under my skin, and it stuck with me. And over the years, 20-plus years, 
I have thought it myself. I've repeated it out loud. I've shared it with others. I've watched it transform people. I've watched it change events in the, in the life of others as well as in my own. So I cannot deny its truth. Here it is. I'm going to share it with you. And maybe it'll be a light for you like it has been for me. Maybe it won't at first. Maybe it'll just get under your skin. And 10 years from now, it'll come back to you and you'll go, oh, light bulb on. Here it is. Quote, the moment you truly commit and stop holding back, all kinds of unforeseen providential things start coming your way. It did not say unforeseen providential things will ride in on a white horse and rescue you or that your life will change in the blink of an eye. It said, when you truly commit, the moment you truly commit and stop holding back, all kinds of unforeseen providential things start coming your way, whether you see them or not. Your job is to record each providential miracle as it enters your life. Write it on your memory so that when the next one and the next one and the next one arrive, you'll begin to see a picture taking shape as moment by moment the flow of providential supply begins. You may only see tiny little changes coming from your nothing at first, but it's the beginning of a million tiny miracles as dunamis transforms your chaos. I can tell you this is what I live. I certainly have not perfected it by no means, but I live it even in its imperfect state in my life. The walls of my memory, they are filled with stories of little changes to my personal history. And because I review the walls of my memory, Today, the clarity of my expectations is better than ever. Every day, I renew my commitment. Every day, I choose not to hold back. And I expect that unforeseen providential things are on their way, whether I see them yet or not. The truth is, many times, I'm surprised by providence. It sneaks up on me, and I'm days down the road before I realize, oh my gosh, that just happened. But once I see it, oh, I accept it. And then I write it. I get out my pen. I get out my pencil and I start writing on the walls of my memory. I have learned to expect the unexpectable. Even though in a momentary upheaval, I might hesitate. Eventually, I get on board with faith. And I expect it to deliver the unseen into my reality. Interesting example of that very recent one. My son really leaned on me to refinance my home while the interest rates were so low, but I dragged my feet for months because I felt unqualified. I was looking at what I have. I was looking at what I had. You see, my joint accounts with my husband were the only credit history I had. I didn't exist to the credit world unconnected to him. What I had made me drag my feet because it defined me. So it seemed useless to me to pay the expense and go through the, you know, refinance as a grueling exercise. But he kept insisting. My brother-in-law even jumped in on it as well and started to challenge me, he even offered to co-sign for me if it would be easier. Both of them were a part of 
the challenge for me to look at what I have, not at what I had or at what I lacked. Then one day, kind of out of the clear blue sky, a thought came to me and I remembered something I had learned shortly after my husband passed away. It was about how God sees his relationship with widows. You see, in the law, if a widow asked anyone for a loan, she could not be denied. And here's why. Because God said, I am her co-signer. I'm her surety. I'm her collateral. Well, that day that that thought re-entered my mind, that day a light bulb went on for me. I immediately saw what I have. What I have is God is my co-signer. So I agreed to take the step to start the refinance. As I went through the process, sometimes I would say right out loud whenever I doubted, God, you are my co-signer. If they refuse me, God, they refuse you. It's your credit they have to check, not mine. My son put me in touch with a friend of his in D.C., and from the moment that man took my application, I felt like I was floating on eagle's wings. Now, what began in January of this year was completed in May. And so now, where do you think this experience is? Oh, it's joined a million tiny miracles written on the walls of my memory. It's there ready at any moment for my review in any future chaos or just for a nice refreshing night with a glass of wine. Let's go review what's on the walls of our memory. But the feeling of being kept and that sensation of being filled have left their permanent impression on my heart. Each time I go through one of these dunamis moments, it changes how I expect the next moment to evolve. It changes my expectation. It clarifies it. It deepens it. Just like that little woman that we spoke of above. Every time she felt the fullness of a container that had been filled by her nothing, it changed how she expected that next vessel to feel until she began to expect fullness. Each time she filled and lifted and moved a container into place, it deepened her resolve and her belief until she was living, expecting, and accepting the unexpectable. So, what history will you write this week? What history will you write this year? What history will you repeat? Are you willing to search outside the normal for new normal? If you are, then repeat after me. I commit to the unexpectable supply of faith. I commit to search outside normal expectations and accept providential surprises. Every time I feel kept and filled by grace, I will write that history on the walls of my memory for future reference in times of chaos. The most gracious thing that you could offer as a gift to another person is to challenge them to repeat after you. I commit to the unexpectable supply of faith. I commit to search outside normal expectations and accept providential surprises. Every time I feel kept and filled by grace, I will write that history on the walls of my memory for future reference in times of chaos. A 
million tiny providential miracles of grace. Together, they create one amazing history.